And now, on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! Uh, this is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me is my co-host, Perry Seibert. Hi, everybody! How you doing, Perry? I am great, Chris. I'm so excited about today's topic. Oh, my gosh. I, I really am excited. I've been... This is kind of when, uh, when we start talking about kind of topics we were going to get into. This was the one that I'm like, we have to do this first. We have to do this first because... This is going to be so much fun. Um, this is a big episode, and I'm so happy everyone is tuning in to listen to this. Uh, housekeeping, let's get that out of the way. You can find us on Facebook at We're Watching Here. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WatchingCast. Email us at We're Watching Here at gmail.com. Keep an eye out for us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. But in the meantime, we're at Michigan Sports and Entertainment. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we're kind of sitting here freezing. Uh, it's been a been a <laughs> bit of a cold weekend. Uh, so we're recording this. It was the first snowstorm of the season. It pushed back our recording a bit. Um, did you survive the drives? I did. I made it out to you safely, thankfully. <laughs> I was doing. I work a second job right now, uh, doing delivery for a sandwich company that I will not name. Rhymes with Chanera, and um, <laughs> I, I was. I, I was uh, sweating on the roads yesterday. Uh, it was a bit, bit worse than my uh, reliable guy predicted it was going to be. So uh, my wife went to college in the UP and okay. is very good at driving through this. Okay. So she hates driving at night and in rain. So I do all that, and she I hate driving through snow, and she does <laughs> that. So it works out well in my household. Yeah, I, I usually take my Cobalt to do deliveries because it's kind of the beater car. Fair. I borrowed the Journey yesterday, and was like, nope, nope, we're just doing that. Yeah. Um, so before we get into our topic and we reveal what it is, uh, what have you been watching lately? Have you seen anything in- interesting? I went back to uh, one of my Christmas gifts for the year, Chris, was the Criterion uh, edition of Shampoo. Oh. Which I was very – I had not watched Mine's in a very me. long time. I don't think I'd seen it since I was in college. Okay. And uh, it's a, it's, it is probably the – it's probably the weakest of all the 70s Hal Ashby movies – Coming home has its problems too, but uh, I love Ashby on the whole, and I, I like the film. Uh, <laughs> to, to call it lesser Ashby is to still say, "See it, it's really good," um, and it's it is fascinating to watch something that is trying so hard to be a social statement that might actually not quite be landing, <laughs> even at the time. It's really it's an interesting movie. It's worth seeing. Uh, if for no other reason than it, you know, it's one of the handful of films that Warren Beatty has shepherded through from beginning to end. It was very much his movie as much as okay. Ashby's or Robert Towns, who co-wrote it with Beatty. Uh, and it's sure interesting. And I don't want to call it a 70s artifact. That makes it sound less interesting than it is. I, it just, it's, that's my favorite period of American film is the 70s. And Shampoo okay. is just one of the... One of the uh, one of the important works in that decade. Hal Ashby is a really bad blind spot for me. Uh, oh. One of the reasons I want to do this podcast oh. is to get into those blind spots. I think the oh. only Hal Ashby I have seen is um, he did Harold and Maude. Yes, right? he did. Okay, and I have seen Harold and Maude. Okay, and I really like Harold. Well, and if you've Maude. only seen one, that would be the one to see. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, he's he's going to be one I need to catch up on. So what we'll have to do 
is down the road schedule a Hal Ashby episode so that I can just uh, it's 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 it a, that's a pretty wonderful filmography right there. It sounds great. Uh, and shampoo, I you know is that Warren Beatty, Julie Christie, a very young Goldie Hawn. Okay, it's a, it's it's uh. It's something. It is. It is worth seeing. Not that you need to, you know, shut down your life and get to it right away. About a hairdresser, right? Yes. On the uh, it's it's election night, nineteen sixty eight, but made in nineteen seventy five. Okay, so this was remade as you don't mess with the Zohan, right? <laughs> uh, so, which, which is not a blind spot for me. I have seen that you don't mess with the Zohan. I, 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 it's one of the few Sandler films I could actually sit through again. I would agree with that. Um, <laughs> Well, mine is uh, mine is not as well. You don't know. Mine is just as good. Yeah, um, I am a big fan of the movie I was watching recently. So I'm writing a series at MichiganSportsAndEntertainment.com right now. Uh, every Friday we do retro reviews, and one thing I'm doing throughout this year—not every week, but every few weeks—I'm going to do a film from 1999, and for reasons we'll get into in a minute. Well, um, it kind of synced up with the release of Glass. And I didn't really want to go back and rewatch Unbreakable because everyone's writing their Unbreakable takes. So I was like, well, 1999, Shyamalan has a new movie coming. I should go back and rewatch The Sixth Sense. And I got to tell you, that movie is damn good. That, <laughs> I was surprised. I, I think people talk so much about the twist in that movie and how, uh, you know, oh, you didn't see it coming and does it hold up? I could have cared less about anticipating the twist or looking for it. It is a really, emo- it, it's a rare emotional story for Shyamalan. Um, I, I really like it, and Haley Joel Osment is so good in that movie. Um, I, I think it might be my favorite child performance, aside from maybe Haley Joel Osment in AI. Um, <laughs> 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 Sorry. Sorry, yeah. Screw Anna Paquin in the piano. Yeah, that was nothing. That was garbage. Sorry. Jody no. Foster and Taxi Driver. Yeah, it was terrible. So they, they can go off with, with Jacob Tremblay. <laughs> Maybe I meant my recent. I don't know. It could have been recent. Jacob Tremblay. Night's fault. So, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I forgot. This is a really good movie. And more than its twist. It's So, uh, you know, I don't know if you know the story about M. Night. Realizing his career was very much on edge. Yeah. And went off and wrote, knew he had to write the perfect screenplay. And did uh, on the paper. I'm, I'm page. I'm sure this is even better than the film. It, it it is one of the few films where the twist is actually thematically important. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. It doesn't. It that's the, as you were saying. The twist is 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 not a gimmick. It is it is essential to the understanding of what the film is about. Well, that's what that's what really left out to me, and I'll link to the review in the uh, in the show notes. But this is a movie about communication. And about taking what we're afraid of and learning to view it in an empathetic light. I mean, this is, might be a movie, I don't know, we might need it right now. I don't know. But uh, I, I was really moved by it. And that that surprised me was how moving I found the film. Um, you know, that twist is great, but that scene with Hella Joel Osment and Tony Collette in the car right before is such... I mean, Tony Collette is so good in that movie. Yes, she is. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I was... I was shocked how much I loved loved that. Um, I had kind of written it off as, oh yeah, I saw it, I saw the twist, that's it. And uh, no, and no, it's a great movie. Uh, I, I really loved it. So, uh, so there's a reason I watched it and a reason why we're here today. And that is because our main topic this week is to talk about 
the year 1999. There's something about the end of the decade that brings out the best yeah, in filmmakers. Um, and 1989 was a superior year as well. Um, what happened in 2009? Was that a good one at all? You know, I'm, I, I don't know. I can't think of anything offhand. Because I know 2007 was great. Seven was four, 2004 was really great, too. Uh I'm trying to remember 2009 off the top of my head. I've been just swimming in 1999 again, so I didn't even think about 2009. Um, but traditionally, the end of the decade, you know, is a really – it's a time for artists generally try to sum up. They try they try for grand works. Uh, and it's often a time when you'll see the first film from a young filmmaker who's going to define the next decade. Yeah. And that's really exciting. I'm looking at the list from 2009, and it was Inglorious Bastards, Avatar, Serious Man. I, I like all three of those. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Up in the air, I like. Up in the air, I really the like. The Informant, I like. The Informant's really good. Um, 500 Days of Summer, I really like. Where the Wild Things Are, I oh, really like. We'll, be talk- we'll probably be talking about Where the Wild Things Are in just a few moments, Chris. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that was a good year, but 19... Oh, a single man. Single man. Great Colin Firth performance. Um, good first film. Jeff Bridges wins the Oscar for Crazy Heart. Good year. Yeah, yeah, gosh. Uh, Watchmen. Watchmen. I mean... Um, <laughs> Yeah, funny, 19, people. Na- funny people's good movie. Funny people's real. Oh, we will do a Judd Apatow. Um, <laughs> I, I love Judd, but um, but yeah, nineteen ninety nine. That was oh my gosh, it was a good year. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that. Um, how old? You're five years older than me. So I where would were you at I would have turned twenty six in nineteen ninety nine. I was uh, not yet hired at uh, the All Media Guide. But I was reviewing for uh, for Ann Arbor Radio Weekly, so I was seeing stuff regularly. Uh, well, I've always seen stuff regularly. <laughs> Whether I'm paid to do so or not, I'm seeing stuff regularly, Chris. Uh, but 1999 was... Uh, 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 I, I, uh, let me get into the importance of 1999 when I get into my first movie. Sure. And my first movie is very much uh, linked into what was going on in my life that year. I will, I will say um, 1999... For me, I've often referred to that as the year that movies broke my brain. <laughs> this this was such... I, I mean, the reason I'm so excited about this is it is such a formative year for me as a, as a movie lover. Um, it was really influential into who I would become as a critic. Um, I would have been turning 20 that year. And the big thing about that year that I think kind of kicked this off was at the very end of 1998, we got a computer with a modem. (laughs) And I remember January 1st, 1999, my parents went out for the day to go watch football with some friends. My siblings were all gone. I put the the phone cord from our computer all the way across the house into our dining room where Mm -hmm. our phone jack was. Dialed up to AOL. I spent the entire day online. Yep. And it, it wasn't my first time online, but it was my first time kind of just, you know, not going on there for to look something specific up, but just exploring what was out there. And it was definitely talking in chat rooms and seeing what that was about, and then getting grossed out by that and leaving the chat rooms, uh, talking with strangers, which was really fun. But I guarantee that day I spent time on Ain't It Cool News. <laughs> uh, and Ain't It Cool News, Ain't It Cool News for about 10 years was the first site I would visit every morning. Um, and, and for those who don't know, it's still around. Uh, but it was kind of the first big film writing site on the internet in terms of... I mean, it really changed 
movie culture and how movies were made and promoted because promoted uh, you know <laughs> yeah well it, I mean it was the start of spoiler culture it was kind of the start of the movies hawking press visits uh, set visits because they were getting you know people were sneaking in doing spy reports um, and I wouldn't say that it was great film writing. Right? Any stretch of the imagination? I would not either. Um, I will say Harry Knowles is not the greatest writer, um, but Drew McWeeny was on that site uh, as Moriarty, and mm-hmm. I read his stuff, and I think they started introducing me to things I might have been a little uncomfortable with. That's when I started looking into Wes Craven and, and kind of some exploitation directors. Um, that year, I also, though, I was turned on to Roger Ebert. I had a friend who recommended, hey, have you read Roger Ebert? No, he's the guy on TV. I didn't, I don't even think I knew he was a writer. (laughs) And I don't know if there's any writer who's had an influence on me like uh, Roger Ebert did. All his, all his reviews were online every week at the uh, Sun-Times website. And that was a much better education to film than Ain't It Cool News. Uh, and, And so I would just spend hours devouring this, arguing in chat rooms about movies, um, I moved from community college into university that year, so I was starting to t- think about, okay, well, I'm getting a degree in journalism, maybe I'll minor in film studies, because maybe down the road, maybe I'll become a film critic, maybe I'll dabble in that. Uh, so this was such an influential year. I was kind of starting to feel my way out of the protected, you know, don't watch anything with nudity, don't watch anything with violence that I had grown up as, and that just made this... A really great environment to be taking in the movies of this year. This is this is a hallmark year in, in movies, and gosh, uh, we we said we'd limit it to three, and we will, but we're going to have a hell of a uh, honorable mention section. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of movies um, talked about, just not in a lot of detail, <laughs> as much detail as I might have hoped for. Yeah. But we'll get to them. We will, we will. There are a few, and there's a story I can't wait. One of my favorite stories I've ever heard from a celebrity. <laughs> a sea okay. level celebrity. I am going to retell later in this episode. Nice. Yes, Looking very excited about this. How did you pick your list of your uh, the films that maybe meant the most to you in 1999? Did you have like kind of a rubric for that? Or? So I remembered my three favorite films from that year at the time I made my list for the ten best for the year. Okay, and I knew that one of them would be on my list for sure okay. that I would have to talk about because it will be the first story we talk about in just a little bit when I get to this. Uh, and the other two. Uh, so the other two of my three favorites from that year, one of them I figured you were going to pick. So I decided okay. I, I definitely wasn't going to talk about that one. Okay. And then the third one, uh, I will tell you right up, was actually David Lynch's The Straight Story, which I have not seen in a very long time. And okay. so for that reason was reluctant to talk about it in any great detail uh, and didn't uh, didn't want to go back to revisit it in the time I had since I decided that and we were recording. Uh, but I need to. I, and I do think it's a great film. But I ended up picking... Um, I ended up picking – I picked uh, – like I said, I picked one of the films that I truly do love from that time uh, that means a great deal to me and has stuck with me more than any other film from that year probably. Uh, I picked the film that I think was the greatest precursor to a, a, a talent that would continue to flower. <laughs> I picked the best first film from 1999. Okay. And, you know, right up until we started talking about this, I wasn't sure what my third film was going to be because I got a list of 20 to choose from here. Um, but I think I'm going to go back and pick a film that just doesn't get enough love. Sounds good. 
Um, yeah, what's really funny is I realized when we uh, when I was listening to our last episode uh, where we talked about our cinematic DNA, you took the approach, what were the films that kind of influenced you as a film lover? Well, that was what I took for this year. Good. Because this year was, it, it was kind of that crucible of, okay, Chris, you've liked films. This year, you are just going to become a film lover. And uh, it was such a, such a good year. I am so excited. Let's just get into this conversation. Let's do it. What's your first film? So my first film requires some backstory for me and where I was in my life at that point. Okay. So uh, in, 19, in, in uh, late November of 1999, my first child was born, my oldest daughter, Emma. Okay. Uh, five days later, my mom passed away okay. after a very long cancer battle. Uh, uh, I learned during that time my emotional response was surprisingly even keeled because I couldn't – I was very excited to become a dad. This was mm-hmm. not a source of – stress or worry in the slightest this was what this i couldn't wait i was so excited for this and happy for this uh and my mom and i was horrific <laughs> yeah i could not get too high about one and i could not get too low about the other they were constantly sort of pulling on each other yeah yeah and it uh it was a few weeks after my own a few months after my mom's death that i had a real truly sort of emotional uh a catharsis about it but uh, I am not one that is prone to uh, to cry at movies. I don't know what that is. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not claiming it's some manly. I don't cry thing. It's not that. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they don't move me like that. Yeah, yeah. They don't move me to the point that I actually tear. So, um, but there were three movies that came out within the four weeks after my mom died and Emma was born that were profoundly emotional experiences. And I'm not claiming that they're all great films. I like them all. Uh, I would argue that two of them are great films. <laughs> but regardless, and so I just wanted to give a quick honorary mention to the other two. Sure. Uh, one was Toy Story 2. Oh, yeah. Uh, if only for When She Loved Me, which is a just heart exploder of a song Oh yeah. on, a, on your happiest day. Uh, seeing it in the mental state I was in was really very difficult. Yeah. And, and, and difficult in a good way. I mean, it was it was it was very moving beyond what I'm sure the, the people oh, at yeah. Pixar had in mind. And I also loved it because it was the. I, I think it's so much better than Toy Story. Oh, it, it, <laughs> Toy Story Two is I would I would clarify as a perfect movie. It, it's <laughs> it's great, and I for the same reason Jesse's song. I cannot watch that with my kids. It's, I, I, I will lose it. That it's rough. That's worse to me than the first ten minutes of Up. Which, I agree. I agree. Still, I mean, I, I leave the room when Up starts, but uh, <laughs> and I love Up. But uh, Toy Story Two, yeah, God, that's good. The other one, like that, was uh, was uh, the other honorable mention for me was Milo Schwarman's Man on the Moon. Oh, another one I like. If only for the scene at the end where where Andy Kaufman makes the pilgrimage to is it Mexico? I forget yeah. what what country he goes to uh, because he's been told there's some miracle witch doctor cure, yeah. and then sees the fake. <laughs> the, the thing, yes, that was a very that was a very healthy and healing moment for yeah, where I was that, after what I had been through. I think uh, I know what your third is going on. But story. my third is the first of the three films when asked to pick, and that is Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. Okay, yeah, which would be a profoundly emotional experience at any point in anyone's life. It is a an, it is a wrought film emotionally. It is difficult to sit through. I recently had the joy of sharing it with 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 Emma, with my oldest. 
uh, who is disturbed by all Paul Thomas Anderson felt. <laughs> she likes them, and they're very difficult for her. She says, he warps my brain. Yeah. He warps my sense of perception after I'm done watching his movies. <laughs> Punch Drunk Love was not a pleasant sit for her. Oh. Not really as much as it was for me. But anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, Magnolia is the kind of film that can go very, very wrong very, very easily. I can understand why people may not take to it at all. Mm-hmm. I get it if it's if you just can't allow yourself to go where that film wants to take you. I understand that. I don't think that's anyone's fault. I, I get that entirely. But I'm one who generally likes... I, I, I tend to love the small perfect film rather than the large messy film not that i don't i love both there's nothing it's just a it's just a preference i lean towards this is a large messy film that i adore it's good that paul thomas anderson has made both kinds of films exactly exactly (laughs) it's one of the reasons he is (laughs) par excellence in my book uh he is oh he's so gifted and it is the it is fun to hear him talk about this film as the one film he truly feels he didn't have a handle on that he did lose control of uh, and all the films have been overly controlled since then. Oh. <laughs> um, and I kind of miss this Paul Thomas Anderson. I miss this Paul Thomas Anderson making I... a giant scream, uh, just an emotional, uh, an emotional cry for a hug. That's what yes. this movie is. It's a three-hour giant primal scream of a hug. It is a melodrama in the truest definition of the word. The word means drama with music. That's what this is. It is almost wall-to-wall music along mm-hmm. with all of the incredibly... Uh, over the top is dismissive just very big emotions that are on display in every scene of this movie uh if you have never seen it and are interested i highly recommend the great hour-long making of documentary that appears on the original dvd release (laughs) so they haven't carried that over i don't know i don't know what what version of it still exists Uh, um there's there's a great there's a great scene uh, where William H Macy is describing he's telling a story about the first time and Macy takes no crap from anybody. So is this your C list celebrity? This is not. No, I mean, Macy's not definitely not C list. Yeah. But I didn't even know I was going to tell this story. I didn't think about this until we started talking. Macy tells a story about uh, he got the script and he read it and Paul calls me and he says uh, he says well, what do you think of the script? He said I said I told him Paul it's, it's great. It's really long. And there was this pause, and then Paul Thomas Anderson went, Fuck you, this movie's perfect. It's three hours long. I'm going to make it. It's going to be goddamn fantastic. It's, nothing, it's not too long. And he's like, Well, okay. And he knew. He said, I knew Julianne Moore got the script too, so I called Julianne Moore. And I said, Julianne, you get the script? She said, Yeah. I said, You read it? She said, Yeah. I said, What'd you think? She said, It's great. It's long. <laughs> And that pretty much sums up the movie to me. I'm like, that's that's exactly right. It is the film Paul Thomas Anderson needed to make at the time that he made it. it I have not seen Magnolia in years. I, I saw it shortly after it came out on VHS at that time. I remember was, I had to go rent the two VHS <laughs> recording. Um, but I remember people were warning me away from it. Like, don't... That, oh. that, that's, that's, it's weird, Chris. It's really weird. <laughs> There's frogs and... <laughs> And I remember, I think I had the same feeling you did, that it, it's messy. It's long and sprawling, but I liked that. And I just, I remember it gets that Amy Mann sing-along. Yeah. And just tears. Just tears, like, yes. running down. And he, he claims that happened when he wrote it. When he wrote that scene. He got to that, and he said he was crying uncontrollably while writing this montage. It, it's so good. And then it might be Tom Cruise's best performance. Oh, not might be. 
It, 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 <laughs> it is the finest book of Tom Cruise's career. And it has been on my list of, I need to go back and rewatch that, because I remember I loved it. Um, I saw it before I saw Boogie Nights, so I had no clue anything about it. Oh, Paul wow. Okay. I might, that might have been my first Paul Thomas Anderson, because <laughs> uh, it definitely <gasps> was not Punch Drunk Love. Um, <laughs> yeah, it might have been my first, and that's, that's a weird start, but... Uh, it is a great movie. That's a good pick. I like that one a lot. It's it's a beautiful movie. It is a film that uh, it, it is a film. Of, it's a very it's a film. I'm I'm not surprised you love. It's a very moral film. It's a film about it's a great movie. how to how to respond in life. Well, to I mean, life. It's 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 really great. Yeah. It's just it's such a shame nothing happened with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson after that. Yeah. It is weird to go back though and think about. Boogie Nights and Magnolia, and then realize he had those in him, and he also had um, the Phantom Thread in him. Which oh yeah, which is a movie that I had no interest in except oh, his so name. And then I saw it, and so the whole good. movie, I'm like, I think I like this, but I don't know what the point is until it gets to that ending, and you're <laughs> like, that's the point, and it's awesome. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, uh, we were still years away from There Will Be Blood, which yeah. happens in the middle of all that. I, it's And Punch Drunk Love. I, I love Punch Drunk Love. I do, too. I, I like that. That's one of my favorites. And I've been a hardcore all-in on PTA since I saw Heart 8 in the theater. I was very lucky. I, it played the Michigan for a week, and I made sure to see it because it had been praised on Siskel and Ebert, I remember at the time. And I was I knew Secret Honor. I was a fan of... I, I was just a fan and wanted to see that movie. I wanted to see him... On the big screen and something again, and then to find this young talent, I I annoyed everybody around me for two years doing the quote from uh, of 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 uh, 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 I'm blanking on the name uh, who's Bruce Springsteen John Landau's famous quote about Bruce Springsteen I have seen the future of American cinema and its name is Paul Thomas Anderson and I'm proud to say I have not yet been proven incorrect in that assessment no, he's, he's awesome. based on Heart Eight alone he's fantastic so you mentioned Siskel and Ebert and, and I feel like when you talk about 99 it's kind of the, I, I think one of the keys that is so weird about comparing that year to this year is that you had to go search out movie reviews like I mean they were in your newspaper I, that was weird they're not you know you had every paper had a local critic which I, you know, it's not very common anymore. No. Um, you had to turn on the TV to find out what Siskel and Ebert thought about something. And now everyone can be a critic. You know, you just need a WordPress. And I don't know that... I, there's there's a whole conversation, a whole episode on the state of film criticism we'll have to do. That's had its plus and minuses. Um, but, oh my gosh, I was so thankful for Ebert and just that treasure trove of writing. Like, he was like my guide. Uh, so... I just thought about it, it was something special. You could trust every critic. Um, whereas <laughs> now, I, I mean, you had critics who you, you trusted their background. You trusted that they loved the movies. And it wasn't just fanboying, where that's a lot of criticism today. Um, but there's also a lot of good stuff. But whatever. Um, Your first movie. My first movie is uh, The Matrix. It's, ah, it's the movie I think bullet about. time. As soon as I think of 1999. Like, I, if this was the year movies broke my brain, The Matrix was the movie that drilled the hole in my head. Um, <laughs> that was early in 99. That was, was like early. April, right? It was March. March, was it March? 30th, wow. I want to say. Um, yeah, because it was not... Like, if, if you... If, when you went into 1999, if you, the movie everyone was already thinking about, and it's going to be the huge hit, it's going to be the greatest movie ever made, 
was Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Uh, everyone was anticipating that. No one was thinking about some weird hacker movie from uh, from <laughs> from the guys who had made Bound. Exactly. Um, and, and I don't even think I was looking forward to it. I, I saw the previews. I remember distinctly making fun of the previews and being like, "Oh, it's it's uh, Keanu Reeves and he's moving slow." Which that's that's twice because I also remember. Saying, oh, it's Keanu Reeves, and they killed his dog. That'll be good. And uh, so I, I, I really can't judge my uh, reaction to Keanu Reeves. Don't, yeah, really. don't discount what Keanu can do. Um, but I went to go see The Matrix because it was getting good reviews, good word of mouth. So I went and saw it on a Saturday afternoon, and my brain exploded. It, <laughs> it, it, it was, a, it still is, a great action movie. It was a landmark of action. It... It was everything I wanted as a 20-year-old, 19-year-old boy, which was a lot of guns, women in leather, um, just things blowing up, computers. But I think what really surprised me most was how much time I spent thinking about the ideas in the movie after. Because I was not a sci-fi guy. I I grew up thinking sci-fi was nerdy, Star Trek stuff, or kind of just fantasy fun Star Wars I didn't know good sci-fi was you also smuggle in ideas with all this. <laughs> and so I go in there, and I'm this, you know, kind of repressed Baptist kid. And all of a sudden, they're speaking about predestination and, you know, the, the meaning of the universe and having these very philosophical talks in between gun battles. <laughs> and I really was like, I... I did not know sci-fi movies could do this. I did not know movies did this, that they could be entertaining and thoughtful and have all these ideas. I would, I, I did not, I have never smoked pot, but we would stay up till three in the morning debating the Matrix. <laughs> we didn't need pot. We had the Matrix. Um, you know, with me and my church friends. Like, that was a that was a movie that actually caught on in the Christian community because we all thought, wow, they're talking about Christianity. Well, no, if, if, when you wait and watch the Matrix... We're talking about everything. Exactly. <laughs> everything makes it in. It's, I'd argue it's more Buddhist than Christian. But the fact that this movie was smuggling in all these ideas and, I, I you know, I, the sequels can do what they do. I haven't revisited them in years. But it is such a good movie. I just, aesthetically, I think it's, it was just cool. Like, I remember people would ask, what do you think of The Matrix? It's cool. It, like, that defined what cool was. <laughs> you get a techno soundtrack. I mean, dated. But <laughs> you get a techno soundtrack, some sunglasses. It was cool, but it was smart. It, it, like, it ruined me for empty entertainment after that. But, you know, I, and it, I think the movie's impact, when, you know, Star Wars ended up coming out, it was kind of like a collective shrug. And at the Oscars that year, Matrix, I think, won more Oscars than Star Wars. I mean, it was like a passing the baton. Uh, so, yeah, I mean... <laughs> passing the baton, the Wachowskis promptly dropped. But yes, they did. Yes, the baton was passed. Well, wait. What did, they, what did they do after that? Well, they did the two Matrix movies. Which are terrible. I, I loathe the sequels. I loathe both of them. I, I will not. Uh, I like Speed Racer. I like Speed Racer, too. Um, but it, it ain't the Matrix. It, it's not the Matrix. I... Oh. Tom Santilli, if you're listening, you'll back me up on this. I admire Cloud Atlas. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if I like it, but I admire what it's doing. And, you know, the thing is, they might make 
bad movies from time to time, but they, I admire, I admire their moxie. Cloud Atlas <laughs> is the big messy film that I do not like at all. I, I it's no Magnolia. <laughs> so yeah, that was the that was the Matrix. That's the true true. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was The Matrix. I love The Matrix. Um, I haven't seen it in a few years. I do for a revisit. But, uh, yeah, I, lo- I loved it. It was, yeah. it was big for me. I haven't seen it in a very long time. I remember, too, how much of a surprise it was. It was... Well, until uh, until The Sixth Sense, later that year, it really was the big surprise that mm-hmm. year. No one expected it, like you were saying. This yeah. was... They, you don't schedule that movie to come out in March if you think it's going to do the kind of business no. that movie did. I mean, and now you do, because now yeah. the movie's out throughout the year, and, you know, Black Panther comes out in February and cleans up. But, yeah, I mean, that was dumping ground. That was, let's get this out of the way of Star Wars, and yep. just let it languish. And hey, that it's funny how often that happens with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's just one of those guys who you write him off, and then he does Speed. And then you write him off, and he does The Matrix. I, I rarely write Keanu off. Although he is the subject of my favorite weird, weird actor story. Remember that? Remember that serial killer movie he did with James Spader? I can't remember the name of it. It's oh, like thirteen like the Watcher years, or something, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Do you know why he had to do that movie? No. A, an associate of his forged his signature on a contract, and it was easier for him to make the movie for three months and get paid than to fight to get out of it. <laughs> And he didn't talk about it until the movie came out. He could not say this until the movie came out. As soon as the movie came out, he was saying, this is the only reason this movie got made. <laughs> Which I think is amazing and should be a movie of its own. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, what's your second? My second is, so this is my film that I wanted to pick for picking an artist who made their first film in 1999. Mm-hmm. Uh, a film so good and so singular and that had such a, such a, just a voice like nothing else, a film that is just as weird today as it was 20 years ago, a film that would have worked 20 years before it, honestly, just the same. You'd had to pick a different uh, name in the title, but it's, it's Spike Jones's being John Malkovich. Oh, yeah. Which is an amazing piece of yes. work. However, how uh, and uh, truly the start of of two great voices with Charlie Kaufman's script as was well. Was that Charlie Kaufman's first script as well? Uh, I don't know script? if it was the first produced script or not, but even so, by all accounts, that film was found in the editing room. I mean, wow. that's not. <laughs> I don't know that Kaufman even wrote the ending. <laughs> he very well may have, um, but they fit truly with both of their careers exactly, so. exactly. They both launched beautifully with this, uh, and Spike truly had made had as good a filmography of music videos as mm-hmm. anybody on the planet by that point. And you, I, you know, this was before you. That was I don't remember film music video directors making the leap to feature film directors until right about this time you know Fincher when was Alien 3 uh, it was definitely before right about but only by a year right it it can't have been earlier than 98 or 97 no No, it had to be because Fincher did because a movie I almost had on this list was Fight Club that's true so so I'm willing to bet it was 95 94 or 95 95 would have been 7 Oh, that's true. Which is his, so it's just before. So yeah, so it's got to be ninety three or ninety four. I mean, same time frame. I mean, Michael Bay about the same time frame. <sighs> uh, so yes, so yes. Being John Malkovich, if you've never seen it, oh boy, are you in for a treat? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, it's it, it, it's 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 it is surreal and mundane smashed into each other, which David Lynch does in his own special way. Uh, not that this film is Lynchian in the slightest. Uh, it, it, if you don't know the film, oh, see it and don't don't know anything about it. Just yeah. go in. Just I hope you know who John Malkovich is. It'll play a little better if you are at least a, passingly familiar with John Malkovich. What I would recommend is go watch Bird Box. <laughs> oh, John Malkovich is the MAGA guy in it. <laughs> and then can remember him, but then also remember that sometimes he also gives good performances. <laughs> And better than good movies. Go and go and rent uh, go and rent the version of of Mice and Men he did with Gary Sinise because that will then give you one of the great jokes in being John Malkovich to to appreciate. Uh, yeah, it's it's just it, it, like I said, it's a film that is truly timeless to me. It works. It, it is so odd and so of itself, and it still works on me exactly as it did the first yeah. time I saw it, and I've seen it recently, uh, and it is the uh, the starting off point for two of the truly great singular voices in film over the last 20 years. I, I have loved every film Spike Jones has made. I think Where the Wild Things Are is remarkably underappreciated. And, uh, oh, I would I, totally agree with I you don't that. Think, it is... I, it's one of the great literary adaptations <laughs> that we've gotten in the movies of all time. A, a book that would seem to be impossible to make into a feature-length film. I would also argue the same thing about on that literary adaptation, but underrated is uh, Synecdoche, New York. Uh, that's that is a big messy film. I don't love, but oh, it's you can't believe that that's somebody's first film. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, it's funny. Um, that was Charlie Kaufman's director of Charlie Kaufman. Um, but it's funny. I, I find that my reaction to being John Malkovich really predicted how I would respond to both Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman over the years, with <laughs> maybe one exception. Um, I saw being John Malkovich, and I was not ready for it. I was not at a point where this was a movie I was ready to process because I didn't understand it. I did, but it was the more I thought about it, it crawled into my skin. I was like, "Oh, oh, this is this is not this is not about you know deep things like the Matrix is. This is really burrowing deep and, and asking like it's literally the best films. I, I really believe the best films." Ask it prompts you to ask questions. They don't answer your questions. They bring up more questions, and you leave that movie with a billion questions. And it, it is so good. And I mulled over it, and it, it really stuck with me. And then through their career, um, I feel like Spike Jones. I warmed up to pretty quickly. I did like adaptation when I saw it. Yeah, Actually, all his all his films. I think Charlie Kaufman was the one I was usually a bit hesitant on, and then he would. The more I would think about it, I'd be like, oh, my reaction to that movie is because it's a great movie, but I just, the things he's saying sometimes make me feel bad. Um, like, <laughs> I, I did realize, I mean, he didn't direct uh, Eternal Sunshine, but no, I, I did walk out of that one kind of bowled over like, this is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, that's um, great. But uh, Synecdoche, New York, I, that one had to sit with me for a bit. Uh, and that's a movie that I had just to accept that there might not be answers. Yes. Um, Anomalisa. We saw Anomalisa at a Critics Day. We did. And I remember they asked me about it, and I'm like, I don't know if I like that. That was, I didn't like that movie. <laughs> that, that made me uncomfortable and depressed. <laughs> and I, that movie did not leave my brain. <laughs> and it ended up on my top ten list that year because it, yeah. it just works. And I would, I would argue, I think her might be 
my favorite movie of this decade so far. Oh, okay. I, I love her. I, I think that's a great movie, and um, it it really inspired my love for Alexa. And uh, <laughs> you know, um, anything no. you want to tell me, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Alexa plays in Barry White. <laughs> Uh, I when I saw uh, when I saw Schenectady, uh, New York, I thought that's so singular. I'm so glad he made it, and I don't understand what he could possibly do next. It felt like someone in their first film had said everything they could possibly ever want yeah. to say. I didn't know what he could possibly do to evolve everything. I couldn't imagine any world where. Everything after wouldn't just be a lesser version of that, or a smaller, less ambitious version of that. And then, and then, Anomalisa happens, and I was, I was flabbergasted. Not only did he find a a a, a, a way to progress from that, uh, but it's so solid and so it is a small, perfect film yeah. as opposed to Schenectady, which is massive and sprawling yes. and flawed. Uh, I love I love Anomalies. <laughs> I, 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 I like it better than Schenectady. And, and I don't like it as much as I like uh, Eternal Sunshine. But it's 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 a really amazing and again, singular piece of work. Nobody else is doing what Charlie Kaufman yeah. does. And, and I'm so glad he's doing it. And that's it. why it takes him so long to make movies. Exactly. Keep turning them down. No I'm one like, will fund this. Well, Netflix is doing his next one. Of so course they are, because they've got work. a one point six billion to throw around. <laughs> um but I, I think Moving on with the topic of debuts, my next film is a debut. Um, it is the Oscar winner for that year, actually, American Beauty. Mm. And um, we might have it, it might be leading to some thorny areas because I don't, I don't know that we're supposed to like Kevin Spacey films anymore. <laughs> um, but if you need it's to pick one to okay. like, go ahead and pick American Beauty because it's. I think it's a good film. Um, I I mentioned I came from a really kind of sheltered background with with in regard to what we watch you don't watch stuff with nudity you don't watch stuff with swearing you don't watch stuff with drug use um american beauty has all of that and <laughs> it's funny that came out i think that was a late in year release that was a fall release actually it was remember, right? it, it is what the interesting thing was because i remember vividly from watching the oscar race that year it was out in early september okay. which back then was not you didn't you didn't oscar till late october okay early september is is risky traditionally. It's not the prime spot, and they opened it early so that they could get a little bit of word about and maybe some box office. Okay, and it had a lot of buzz out of Toronto, if I remember correctly. I, it did because I remember I remember hearing about it, and I, again, it was probably in cool news was starting to talk about it. Um, but then I, I still like I was like, ah, eh, whatever, you know. I, I, when you're 20 years old, hearing about a middle aged man having a midlife crisis is not <laughs> going to jump to the top of the list. But I was chatting with a friend online, and she had had passes to a sneak preview of it. And she had just come from it. And I swear she spent about two hours telling me how great this movie was. And I trusted her judgment. She was the one who told me to read Roger Ebert. So I was like, all right, I, I guess I have to see this movie. And again, I, I, I was kind of conditioned and wired that if a movie wasn't about something that I felt was safe or you know, maybe a bit uh, fun for the family, um, I was going to react harshly to it. And I saw American Beauty, and it's, for those of you who don't know, it's about a man who is having a bit of a midlife crisis, and he begins lusting after his teenage daughter's friend, 
Um, and then hijinks ensue. And, <laughs> Wackiness ensues. And yes. I remember just, <laughs> I remember just being so taken by what a like it, it felt like a ride because in, in the fact that my emotions were going everywhere. I'm laughing. I'm crying. I it, it has some really downer parts. Uh, it has some really funny parts. Sometimes those are mixed together, and I had never seen a movie do this. And this had been what I had been told, stay away from these movies. And I'm like, but there's something here. And I went home, and I, the only other movie I've done this with was Last Temptation of Christ. I went on a two-hour walk thinking about this movie. <laughs> and realizing, you know, it, it went back to that Roger Ebert adage. You know, a movie is not what it's about, it's how it's about it. And I was like, this movie has some stuff in it I've been told to stay away from, but what's it saying? And it's, it's actually saying something about America and marriage. And I totally didn't get that at that point because I wouldn't get married for another 10 years. But it, it was the first movie that made, you know, there's the sign throughout the movie, look closer. Mm-hmm. And that was the tagline of the movie. And that, you know, cliche as it might be, that's what that movie did was make me pick it apart and kind of interrogate myself as to what is going on in me that I'm responding to this movie and I recommended it to everyone. I recommended it to my parents, which was a huge mistake. And, um, <laughs> I but, can only imagine. But uh, you no, know, they like that one. But <laughs> um, uh, but I I really liked that. I liked that movie so much that I am terrified to revisit it. Um, I've liked a lot of what Sam Mendes has done in the last few, you know, subsequently. Um, but I am afraid this movie might not hold up for me, and it's, I kind of don't want to have that ruined. I want to have that, that memory of that movie, um, but I know I'm going to have to revisit it this year, so. I don't, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Okay. It really does, the performances are so good. It it really, Kevin Spacey is, that's where the Kevin Spacey persona started taking off. And this, uh, I'm going to give him the usual suspects. Uh, Uh, Okay. It's where it's solidified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's the only time he broke out of it, honestly. Sometimes he isn't doing fast-talking, uh, you know, a-hole. Really, he's not through the movie. That's, that's, he wants to be, the character wants to be that and isn't that. That's, okay, why, that's yes, the yes. pleasure. It's the one time that is sort of inverted in that run of his films when he isn't being mopey and cloying. Uh, uh, in other films, not in that film. He's fantastic in American Beauty. Uh, yeah, I have no problem. I, I think the film's great. Uh, I think that it's a great first film, like you said. It's, it is another film like Being John Malkovich that had serious script problems, from what I understand. Oh, yeah. That they completely reworked Alan Ball's third act, and there he's was a man a not great third acts to begin with. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so Sam Mendes knew what to do, was smart enough to get one of the great cinematographers of all time in Conrad Hall, mm-hmm. hire him and let him teach him how to be a cameraman. <laughs> Yeah. He claims to this day he gives Conrad Hall all the credit in the world for understanding how to make a movie. Uh, yeah, he's a remarkably gifted guy. I, there is not a single Mendy film I I don't like other than Road to Perdition. So <laughs> I, I like, at least like, if not love all of them. I think he's remarkably talented and, and American Beauty should point to the way. Uh, we might disagree on Spectre, but... Uh, and I, I, I like, like Spectre. I like Road to Perdition, so I guess... That's fair. Balance out. That's fair. Um, I, just the performances, I think, going back to that, yeah. I mean, Kevin Spacey is the one we all remember, but Annette Benning is so... Oh, yeah. So good in that. And there's a scene between them where they're on the couch and they're, you know, kind of rekindling their marriage, and then she freaks out because it's going to get beer on the couch. It is the most heartbreaking <laughs> moment. It, 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 like, it, it's a funny moment, 
But I just remember my heart sinking because I thought, oh, this is going to turn out okay. No. And, uh, you know, it gave us the great career of Mina Suvari. <laughs> who is really it's, good in that. It's amazing that all of the kids flamed out and all of the adults who were not well known before that film took off right Chris Cooper, Allison Janney. It was a, it was yeah. a jumping off point for so many other people. Well, where, did, <laughs> where has Thora Birch gone? Because I loved her in that movie. And uh, Ghost World. She's, she had a fine career. I haven't seen her recently either. Uh, Wes Bentley is the subject of that amazing documentary, if you've never seen what? it. About. Wes Bentley was living with three other young actors, mm-hmm. had an apartment together, and there was a documentary made about them. Uh, at the time, American Beauty breaks. He becomes more famous than them, really? and it's problematic for all the relationships. That's it's a really interesting piece of work. Um, and he, had a, he did a great film with Michael Winterbottom called The Claim, and then he shows up every once in a while and stuff. Yeah, no, that's that's the best way to put it because when he the shows Hunger up, Games yeah, showed up in the Hunger Games. Okay, um, the one that got me recently was I was rewatching Fallout, Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, <laughs> he just kind of wanders in. It's Wes Bentley, all right. Basically, and the only thing I thought about that character is I'm like, wow, that sucks for that guy to like find out his wife used to be married to Tom Cruise. <laughs> like, but yeah, Wes Bentley, I always. I, I don't know if I like him, but I always, when he shows up, I'm like, ah, oh, it's that guy. You know? It's, oh, it's, it's off-brand Skeet Ulrich. But, um, <laughs> oh, he's so much better than Skeet Ulrich. No, that's, that would make uh, him, Skeet third, that would make him third-level Johnny Depp. He's much go. better than that. He's much better than that. Um, but yeah, that's American Beauty. I, I need to revisit that. that. I, I loved it so much, and it really was instrumental in helping me realize when you pick things apart, you are going to realize that there are things underneath the content that are so worth digging for. Good. And, and I love that. That's great. Third film. All right. I've decided... I'm going to call an audible here, Chris. I've decided to... Forgive the sports metaphor. I've decided to go with another first feature. No, that's not even true. Oh. I just remember that's not true at all. So strike that. Reverse it. I'm going to go with the rarest of all things. Uh, a great adaptation of a television series. This almost never happens. And uh, something else that I dearly love. Um, I, I'm that rare breed of, of, of American male, straight American male, who really likes musicals. I like movie musicals. I prefer them to stage musicals. Oh, I have no idea what But you're I going. prefer movie musicals, and I think that most movie musicals, almost all of the great movie musicals are original movie musicals. I don't think they're adaptations of stage musicals. Okay. And I will tell you a movie that came out in 1999 that should not have worked nearly as well as it does, but prefigured what would become a, 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 a comedy writing duo that would go on to create... Uh, uh, one of the one of the most beloved Broadway musicals of the last ten years. Uh, later I know in their exactly life, where you're going, and I am so glad you're going here because it was a runner-up for me. South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. Yeah. Rarely do I pick a film that's a dick joke right in the title, but I can't help it with this one because that's it's 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 so good. It is such a good movie. It is such a smart movie. Uh, it is such a vulgar movie, <laughs> gleefully vulgar in a way they couldn't be when they were doing the, when yes. the shows on Comedy Central. Um, boy, did they run with it! You gotta love a film in which the uh, then head of the MPA, Jack Valenti, said, "We messed up. We should have given this an NC-17." <laughs> Again, talking about uh, as we were talking about with Spider Verse in the last episode, a film that gets away with so much because it's animated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff you couldn't have done, and a film that is so smart about 
why why films that why entertainment that we consider vulgar is popular and yeah. does have an effect. And again, asking that question without giving us any answers, as you just said. <laughs> it is such a good movie. It is fabulous. It works so well. I think it's under 90 minutes. Uh, uh, the songs are spectacular. I will still listen to the soundtrack to this day in my car. Oh, I'll do the same thing. They are, they are the rare thing of being both spoofs of recognizable uh, musical theater songs, or songs from particular types of shows that are still wholly original. You don't mm-hmm. have to know that for them to work. The Les Mis riff is one of the funniest things I have ever seen. Granted, in part because I can't stand Les Mis anymore. <laughs> uh, the The opening is the greatest Disney opening ever. <laughs> About our, our, our little mountain town. Um, I don't think that I, I don't believe that uh, that Trey Parker has any sort of coherent political philosophy whatsoever to impart upon the world. If Team America World Police didn't make that clear, and I, I don't care, I, <laughs> because what he's doing in this movie works. It works from beginning to end, and again, it will work today as well as it did twenty years ago. Because we're still just as messed up on all of these topics as we were twenty years ago. This is another one at the time I was not ready for. Um, I, in fact, I remember my parents, I, I was still living at home at this point, and my parents didn't really, you know, I was an adult, so they didn't really care what I watched. But there was a rule, we don't want South Park on in our house. Uh, don't put that trash on in our house. So one night while they were gone, I remember I went to the video store and I rented the South Park movie. I remember I watched the South Park movie. I laughed a lot at the South Park movie. <laughs> I felt so guilty. I ejected that VHS as soon as it was over, popped it back in the case, made a beeline up to family video, and turned it back in because I was like, something is wrong with me if I liked that movie. Um, I have since seen it again a couple times. It was the movie that changed my mind on South Park, uh, which was kind of, in my mind, just... You know, it, it was the crass cartoon. It was funny, but that was it. Um, but it was the thing that got me thinking, no, this might be more in line with The Simpsons. They are saying something. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that movie is so brilliant because it it invites controversy, and they are playing right into its hands yes. the whole time. And I love the fact that there is a movie that is about people getting pissed off because there's a dirty movie. <laughs> it, it, it just shuts off any criticism you could have about it. And it, it's... It's so funny. Yeah, those songs, I, I still, I, <laughs> this is a PG-13 podcast, but whatever. I, I love Uncle Fucka. It is such a great song. It is, it's just so oh, gleeful. See, and I, I enjoy the extended, because it was done originally on the show, I like the extended two minutes of Kyle's Mom's a Bitch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. But yeah, the, I love, um, the opening is a great Disney spoof. Satan's Little Mermaid moment <laughs> so good. Just, that was a movie that... It, I, I was definitely not prepared. Um, the rousing Blame Canada that was performed at the Oscars by yes, Robin Williams. By Robin Williams, I remember that. Um, gosh, 
I, I, would, I just love that that got an Oscar nomination for best song. I yeah. adore that that got an Oscar nomination. I, I, but I think every song in that movie deserved an Oscar nomination. I don't disagree. I, I and I love Trey Parker and Matt Stone. I, I haven't watched South Park in years, but uh, I, I love like they just. I, I forget about them, and then they'll pull out a uh, Team America World Police, and I'll be like, "Oh, great." I like them. That's right. They're funny. And then I'll forget about them. And then Book of Mormon comes out. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's right. They're really funny. And uh, they're, they're great. And I, that is a great pick because it was on my list. And I I had to kick it off for something else that was, I didn't think I was ready for, but it was transformative when I saw it. Okay. And it's also from a very foul filmmaker. And I don't know if you can discuss the 90s without discussing this filmmaker. Okay. It is Kevin Smith's Dogma. Oh, um, oh, I love that movie. I, I love Dogma. <laughs> People hate that movie. I love oh, that movie. Dogma was... That was another one that my friend recommended. And she was a big Kevin Smith fan. And I don't... I think I had seen Clerks at that point. And... <laughs> Sorry, I'm remembering my favorite punchline in the movie. Good. <laughs> and I think I had seen Clerks. And Clerks really didn't do much for me. And I don't know why. Maybe I, I that might have been one I wasn't ready for at the time. But... So I hadn't seen Chasing Amy, which, uh, so Dogma was my next one. And again, coming from, this plays into the religious background. It was the first time I realized, oh, you can talk about spirituality and make it funny. And you can make it into a comic book movie. And you know what? Maybe there's poop monsters. And (laughs) maybe God is Alanis Morissette. And it's, I I love the movie because I feel like, I, I don't know if I would say it's the best Kevin Smith. Um, I, I really like Chasing Amy. Uh, yes. Chasing Amy's the best Kevin Smith. But it's really... It's 1A. It's my favorite Kevin Smith because I think it's... I mean, we talked about a little bit about this pre-showing. I think it's the Kevin Smith I've wanted to see ever since. Like, he has never done reached that far again. And I, I feel like it's him running with his style, which his style is he's vulgar and profane but it's also he's pushing himself like it's visually different than anything he's done it's got ideas that he couldn't pursue in something like a chasing amy and i've never seen him do that again he, he also it was the first time he'd had the best actors he'd had to that point yes uh uh matt damon is superb in that movie matt damon is i i'm not, I'm not joking matt damon is superb in that oh, movie. Yes, he's great that's a he's got Three marvelous scenes in that movie that are that elevate the material. I, I'm sure that Kevin knew what he had when he was seeing it, but I'm I can't believe that's what he envisioned mm-hmm. when he wrote those scenes. Uh, 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 I'm utterly blanking. Alan Rickman, the dear, de- yes, the dear departed Alan Rickman is fantastic yes. as well and very funny. Uh, Linda Fiorentino, the impossible to work with. Linda Fiorentino, superb. Uh, yeah, then that script actually predates Clerks. He'd written that first. That that was, that was, yeah. and so you realize, boy, he got all the good ideas out there. <laughs> he emptied quickly. He, was, yeah. he emptied the tank early. <laughs> I, it, it's, yeah, it, it's funny because it's this movie that is just a kind of a juvenile thing, but then there are riffs on, really deep dives into Catholic theology oh, yes. and doctrine. And I'm not Catholic, but I, I appreciated that they were doing that. And then there are things that I resonated with, which the whole Catholicism, wow, and there's a whole thing in Christianity about making Jesus a little, you know, a little nicer, a little softer edged, and, and I, I liked that, but then there's a poop monster. The Buddy Christ. Yeah, the, I had a Buddy Christ. <laughs> I had a Buddy Christ on my uh, dashboard for a while. 
Um, there's a whole conversation between Ben Affleck and Matt Damon about, uh, you know, pride and... Yes. And it's such a good thing. And it's, I've used that in Bible studies because it's such a good thing. And then you just also have a lot of smart set. You have George Carlin is so good in this. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think it's his best actors. It just, it's him energized, which I feel like... I haven't seen, and I like Kevin Smith as a person, and I like him as a personality, and I once drove out to Akron and spent a weekend in freaking Akron so I could see his live show. Um, I like Kevin Smith. I want to like his movies, and I have not liked his movies in so long, and it bums me out. If you've um, never seen this movie, you truly can't appreciate how funny the Matt Damon cameo in Thor Ragnarok is. Yeah. I, For now, he's played Loki twice. Oh, yes, no, I think I made that joke when it came out. Gosh, it's so good. It's such a good movie. I I miss that Kevin Smith. I do, too. I, I miss him terribly. He uh, went away right after that movie. He did. Yes. Uh, you know, I stuck with him through, I liked Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. That was okay. Out. That was okay. Um, I feel like I liked Clerks 2, and then I revisited it, and I did not like Clerks 2. Um, oh, Jersey Girl's awful. Jersey Girl's, Jersey Girl's awful. With a great DVD commentary track, though. I will admit, it's a very funny commentary track. The movie's terrible. I Red was, State's awful. Red State is... Red, <laughs> if there was ever a movie that I would have been the target audience for, it would have been <laughs> Red State. Because the whole, like, the whole Westboro thing fascinates and horrifies me. And I've, <laughs> I've talked to Megan Phelps. And I, you know, just, I'm fascinated by that. And how do you whiff that? <laughs> like how? Like it's right there. You don't even have to make that satire. And he couldn't make it funny. He couldn't make it scary. And he couldn't commit to his ending. And he wasted John. Like it's a sin to waste John Goodman, which he did. He did. And God, yes, he did. Poor Kevin Smith. At least he has his podcast, which is very good. He's he's actually I, I found a nice route as a personality. Yes. And, uh, I you know I will always listen to him do a Q and A, but. I don't know that I'll watch his movies anytime soon. Um, so that's our three. I know we had a ton of runner We did. There were so many good films that year. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm looking at this, scrolling through this list of 20 films that I wrote down, of films I would love to talk about. Not even, I mean, they're all films I like, but, um, oh my God, I mean, we're talking about Great Matt Damon. The Talented Mr. Ripley is 1999, yeah. which is a, a stunningly great movie. Again, with one of the greatest ensembles ever put together. That's a great one. Uh, I love the Limey, the Soderbergh film from that year is fantastic. I love Bowfinger. Oh, God. We didn't... Yeah. There's a whole episode. We will do, because I am evangelical about this director. <laughs> we will do a Frank Oz Ooh. episode. Ooh. All right. Which, there's, there's this is going to be interesting. But, okay. Uh, but I do love... I'd love to hear someone tell me why the score is good, but okay. No, no. <laughs> we might do a Frank Oz comedy episode. Okay, fair. Better. Um, Better. Is the score his only non-comedy? I can't even think. After the score, I stopped thinking. Um, you, you know the great story about how Brando hated him, right? I I did not know that. Brando so loathed him on the set of the score that he would not take direction from him. Basically, Frank Oz had to tell De Niro what he wanted Brando to do, and De Niro would manipulate oh Brando. And Brando would refer to him only as Miss Piggy. He would only call Frank Oz Miss Piggy on the set. I did see on Twitter Frank Oz debunks the idea that Brando did not wear pants. Yes, that's um, the version suicides. I can't. I one of us should have talked about that. Sophia Coppola's first one was, and another great literary adaptation. That's a spectacular movie. And there are movies from that year that are 
are not talked about much anymore that I really like. There was a great Mammoth film that year. The Winslow Boy is really well, good and the most un-Mammoth-y Mammoth film. If you think you don't like David Mammoth, I encourage you to check out his, his remake of The Winslow Boy. It's excellent. Uh, the War Zone, Tim Roth's only, director, only directed film. Really strong. Uh, Sweet and Lowdown, which until Midnight in Paris was the last close to great Woody Allen film. <laughs> a brilliant Sean Penn performance. That's a really good piece of work. The Muse, a really good Albert Brooks film. Go is that year. Doug Lyman's Go, Go is really, which like is Go one of the great Pulp Fiction knockoffs of all time. Uh, I had Three Kings. Which oh God, Three Kings! Is I love Three Kings. That was that was another formative one for me too because yeah, that one I remember going and everyone was complaining because he plays with the color in it. I remember yes. And no one understood. Like I remember, they put a warning on the VHS, like, "Hey, this is intentional. Don't, don't adjust." <laughs> and I thought it was brilliant, and I loved. Like it was such a weird movie. He has that kind of the bullet that goes in, and yes, you, you cut know, inside to watch yeah, it. Yeah, you see the bile going. The sepsis. Cow. Uh, I miss that. Uh, who? Spike uh, Jones. A great Spike Jones performance. Great Spike Jones performance. <laughs> Why am I blanking on the director? Because he's, David O. Russell. Yes, David O. Russell. Where is that David O. Russell? Oh, I'm okay. See, that David O. Russell hit a dead end, and I'm really I like I'm real I'm real good with the the more recent David O. Russell stuff too. I think they're both very interesting and very different periods. I just miss the how feeling how much Three Kings impressed me, and I <laughs> like I, I've liked his stuff. But I've never loved his recent stuff. Oh, um, Fight oh. Club. I had Fight Club. Here on we list. switch. I love American oh, Hustle. I love American okay, Hustle. See, I, I'm not big on American Hustle. And I love Silver Linings Playbook. I do like Silver Linings Playbook a lot. Uh, I like The Fighter a bit, quite a bit. I like The Fighter. Um, I had Fight Club on my list. I, I don't know if I love Fight Club, <laughs> but it did something at that point where, you know, it, I, that's a weird movie where I've said, yeah, that's an awesome movie because I'm a 20-year-old man and, <laughs> and I love how macho it is. And then I've... Turned on it and said, "No, that's a bunch of macho crap." And I said, "No, it's making fun of macho crap." Yeah, and it, it's. I, I love that movie, and I, I think that might be my. It's probably not the best Ed Norton and Brad Pitt, but it's my favorite Ed Norton, Brad Pitt, and Meatloaf. Um, <laughs> I like Fight Club. Fight Club to me, even at the time, struck me as this is a film that it, it's the same reaction I had uh, to Kubrick's Clockwork Orange, and that this is a film that any smart sixteen-year-old should love, and any smart twenty-two-year-old should have outgrown. <laughs> I, like I, you I will, would still like it, but you can't you can't mean it and love it and take it to heart anymore. You should know better by that point. I will say, if if you ever run into someone who has the poster for this movie on their door and wall, <laughs> run. Uh, no good can come of that. Uh, Iron Giant was this. Iron Giant Election. God, Election. <laughs> Election's a fabulous movie. Uh, that was not Alexander Payne's first one. No, no. But Iron Giant. Was it was his first. last great one, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's such a good year. Uh, I'm sure there are ones we're leaving off. So please, write to we're watching here at gmail.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter. So that's what we missed. Yes, indeed. I know there are things that are not on this list. I, I even tried to think, like, what were the worst movies made in 19... 19- Blair Witch Project was yeah. that year. And I'm not saying that because it's the worst. I'm saying that's just another... That was just the kind of year it was. There was yeah. great stuff going on all year long in the movies. It was a stunning year. Yeah, I- Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. <laughs> I uh, like that movie. Which I obsessed for that. So I, I was convinced Austin Powers was my favorite movie for like the first <laughs> five years after its release. Um, 
So before we go, what are you looking forward to? What's coming out in theaters? What is coming out in theaters? I can't even think of anything. Why can't I not think of anything? I am blanking utterly. I, 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 I've been, honestly, I've been so, uh, I, I've been so wrapped up in watching, and again, we recorded this in uh, late January. Yes. You're probably hearing it in about mid-February. Uh, but I've been so obsessed with watching uh, Netflix position itself with Roma and how they're going to deal with their first real big-time serious mm-hmm. Oscar contender because I'm very curious, not only how Roma does because I think it's absolutely it a, a stunning movie. piece of work and one of the great films of the decade, I'm real curious to see what The Irishman ends up looking like and how that's distributed to theaters of the Scorsese film later this year. So that's way, way off. I know I, should, I shouldn't be looking that far ahead. I should be looking at what's well, coming out in February year, and whatnot. You're, you're going to see Netflix throughout the year. Exactly. I'm, I'm curious to see what groundwork gets laid for that. Well, my pick for the movie I'm looking forward to, I kind of picked this because I knew you're going to hate this one. <laughs> um, I, I am really looking forward to Lego Movie 2, the second <laughs> part. You are one of the rare people I know who hated the Lego. I movie. do hate the Lego movie, and to be fair, I really liked the Lego Batman movie. I like but Batman. I hated the Lego movie. I, I love the Lego movie. I, I and I'm really curious to see if the, I don't. I don't have a good feeling about the second one. Um, I feel like Lord. Well, I don't know. Lord and Miller aren't directing, but they didn't direct Spider Man either, and that was pretty great. Um, <laughs> I, I I just I love that whole Lego movie, just the way it was, it was breaking down and kind of running over the hero's journey and throwing it in the trash a little bit, and it's just so weird, like there was no way a Lego movie could work for me, (laughs) and then it did, because it gets into the brain of a seven-year-old boy, and just ping-pongs off, and it, like watching my son play, I'm like, yep, that's the Lego movie, (laughs) so what did you like about it? I'm curious about that. I think I, I think I, 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 I'm not proud of this. I'm not bragging. I think it's the only time in history that I might have, uh, I might have ruined the perfect rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, I no. think with my TV guy thing posted. I, I, but it, I didn't. To be fair, I didn't know it. Like I didn't. I truly, I wasn't writing it as a response to everybody loves this. I hated it. <laughs> so so I, I'd have to go back and read the review again. I, I remember just being, I found it so aggressively a commercial. That I couldn't get past it. It was, uh, and I found it so. so I, I found it as charming as it might be to be inside the head of a seven-year-old boy. I found it problematic to be inside the head of a seven-year-old boy. <laughs> I found it so dismissive of of the women. I find it so. Dis- it's the same reason I hate Daredevil. It pretends that it's not a, what it is. Yeah. It pre- it wants to make fun of what it is, and but still is that. And so I don't know what that's for. You're not deconstructing it. You are that. You want to be kind of postmodern and point out that you're doing it, but you're still doing it, and you want me to love you for the same reason that you're still doing it. I, I just, I, I was, I, I found it remarkably bogus and incredibly, incredibly uh, nothing more than a cash grab. I, I, I really hated sitting there, and it's just, just sensorily unpleasant. It is everything the Spider-Man film, Spider-Man, Spider-Verse isn't. It is unfun to look at. It but is, it, it has, is painful to watch the editing in that movie. But it has Unikitty. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it's got good cutback. I'm not saying there are individual funny it things in it. It does have good cutback. But 
oh, I don't need to sit through all that again. And, they, and I really lost it when the like the serial numbers of the Lego show up on the screen. I'm like, oh, oh no. <laughs> it took all I had not to just yell a giant fuck you at the screen when that <laughs> happened. I really, really hate the Lego movie. You can email Perry. <laughs> you can, yeah, send the hate mail to Perry Loves Film on Twitter. <laughs> and you can find me on Facebook and unfriend me if you feel the need to do so over the movie. And if you do so over the Lego movie, I'm very sorry. You can find me on Twitter at Mere Christianity. You can find me on Facebook, also at Mere Christianity. Um, you can find us on Facebook at We're Watching Here. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Watching Pod. Nope, I'm sorry, Watching Cast. And uh, email us at We're Watching Here at gmail.com. We will be back in a few weeks. We will be talking about the career of Mr. Robin Williams. Uh, looking forward to that. Until then, Nanu Nanu.